0: I think because I've been doing so much of this inner work of realizing my own self-worth and healing a lot of or shedding a lot of these unwanted layers, I've been able to move past these obstacles a lot quicker Mm -hmm. Um, because there is a shift that has to happen when you're an employee to becoming an entrepreneur. You have to have your own back, right? You're not working for anyone. You have to have your own back. There's a lot of thinking ways or there's a lot of things to shift in your thinking from big time being an employee following the rules um to just becoming your own leader and i've really had to you know be a nice ceo to myself
1: because <laughs> I've
0: been a nice CEO to myself um, and and that's really where the whole not being attached to the outcome piece like having having high expectations or You know having having high achieving goals for myself but not being so attached to the outcome otherwise i would beat myself up so a lot of this managing myself my self-talk you know thinking about it from different perspectives a lot of reflection and i think that's why i've not quit and given up in the first six months of my business where it could have been really easy to just go back and find another job but being really really mindful of what are the things that i'm telling myself and how is that Mm. helping
1: Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, a leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 76 with special guest Michelle Yu. The title is, catch this, choose to write your own story, moving from being a victim to a victor. Michelle is a former HR executive turned coach, trainer, and human capital consultant. Most importantly, she's been on her own personal journey of understanding herself, letting go of the old messages and stories, and writing her own more authentic story of who she is and what she's capable of. She's going to talk about a lot of her journey, including her journey in the corporate world as a young Asian-American woman, some of the challenges she faced, and how she moved past those challenges to step into her own power. She's going to talk to you about how she felt her most powerful and did her best work when she, in her words, went rogue. Get ready to listen and learn to Michelle Yu as she shares with you the secrets to getting past the self limiting beliefs that hold you back. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth We have another special guest with us today, Michelle Yu. I had the pleasure of connecting with Michelle through one of my favorite things these days, which is Lunch Club. If you're not familiar with Lunch Club, go check it out. It's been It's really enriched my life the last couple of months, getting to meet people like Michelle. Michelle is coming to us from the Bay Area. That would be San Francisco Bay Area. And Michelle, as you're going to hear, has a really fascinating background. She's a former HR executive, now turned coach, t- trainer, and human capital consultant. She worked in a lot of tech companies, some of you might have heard of, these very small companies, uh, Living Social, Google, SoftBank, uh, you know, those small companies. And Michelle decided to leave the corporate world and go into entrepreneurship and, because she's passionate about helping other people reach their goals and become the best version of themselves. And she worked in a very fast-paced environment, but she's learned through that the importance of mental health, workplace well-being, and how all of that has a direct effect on people's productivity and performance. And actually, Michelle's here to not only talk about this, her experience in, into entrepreneurship and as an HR executive, but also some of her journey as an Asian-American woman a very unique experience. I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation and a great opportunity for us all to learn about different ways to lead and approach leadership in the context of difference and inclusion. So welcome, Michelle. Yeah, welcome. So Michelle, give us a little bit of your story that brings you here today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I felt my first 10 years coming out of undergrad, I just hustled my way up. I worked really, really hard. I climbed the ladder. I became, you know, one of the youngest female minority directors at a large global fortune 500 firm. And um, not to say that I didn't have ambition and, and drive, but I don't know exactly if I knew back then what I was really striving for. So as I sat at the pinnacle of what I thought would be my my career, um, I was just really unhappy and really unfulfilled. Um, I had great experience, you know, launching offices globally and doing a lot of really cool things that sounded great on paper, but internally I just wasn't aligned with who I was.
2: So, did so I decided, was it, I'm sorry, was it more of having the the ladder on the wrong wall?
0: Um, I don't think so. I don't think there's any right or wrong in my journey. I think that everything okay. led me to where I was now, but ultimately that experience led me to realizing there's a lot more to life than just hustling and climbing and getting, you know, all the degrees and certifications, um, you know, that external view of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. So that's really why I transitioned and pivoted into coaching. So I can help people move forward if they're feeling stuck and feeling in the same boat, um, where to go from there.
1: So Michelle, you know, so many people go through those kinds of challenges and frankly, I wish more people did go through the challenge. I think the saddest thing is when people don't realize that they're having that experience, that less than experience, and they don't even change their course. You change your course. Can you talk more about, like what you talked, you labeled it, but what really was driving you to go a different direction? What did you learn about yourself that said, I have to go a different direction? There's
0: just more to life to pursue than, you know, your high paying salary and going to work every day to get paid and to do things that you don't love. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think I, I hit a point where I'm like, I've proved to myself that I, I can do this, but now it's the hard part is to retrain my brain of like, do I like doing this now? What is it that I'm actually excited and passionate about? Cause I could have totally continued onto that path and, and then woke up one day and realized why did I miss out on what life really should be about, which is doing what you love and taking those chances um, to realize, like, really who you are in that journey. So I really got lost in that process. And I kept thinking, you know, the next promotion or the next level of money is going to make me happy. And none of that did. Um, So I was fortunate to go through that myself. But I think there are still a lot of people who aren't at that level yet. And if I can inspire them to just think a little bit different, um to get them back on track to who they really are then I will feel very very fulfilled in my own you know in my own journey and and what I want for my own life
2: That's such a good story. I think so many people think, you know, when I get the bigger dollars, that's that's when I'm I'm going to be happy and they don't allow themselves to be happy during the process. And I think really just understanding what it is that drives us like for me and I think for Jeff, creativity is a big part of that, being around other people. And when we miss that, you know, when, when it's just slogging through and just doing the same thing over and over again, it really sucks the joy out of things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, Michelle, I'm cu- always curious when people go through this process. I think there's a couple parts to the process. One is just being aware that it's happening. Number two, taking that awareness and decide, making a decision, I want something different than what I have because I may be aware of something, but not change it. And the third is then deciding what do I do? But I'm curious, was there like kind of a moment or some really specific events that happened that led you there? Or was this kind of a slow burn?
0: I would say that it was a slow burn that blew up really quickly. (laughs) Um, You know, I coming from my background, so just a little bit more about my background, like my parents have worked in large corporations for all their life. And maybe worked for my mom's only worked for two companies. And growing up, they're like, find something stable and just do your best and just go to work. And I knew that was not what I wanted. Um, and then also being, you know, coming from a refugee immigrant family, there's so much focus on achievement. So do your best, make as much money, you know, as possible because we didn't have those things growing up. And as I got further and further along in my career, I felt like I ticked off a lot of those boxes that my parents wanted for me. And I would say the catalyst was realizing, well, I've kind of done all those things that they sought out for me to do. Now, what is it that I want to do? And that was my wake up moment to realize like, you know, there was a lot of conditioning of, wanting my parents to be happy with what I, like with my life, with my career, that I finally woke up and I'm like, I have to do this for myself.
1: Mm. I I think you just put a lot in that brief response because you touched on messages we get, whether it's from our parents, from society in general, about what we're supposed to do. You mentioned the word stable, you know, find something stable. I, I think so often the people around us, they're, they're almost always well-intended. It's very loving. It's designed to do what they think is best for us. But they're really giving us a version of their story, right? What worked for them or gave them that comfort. Uh, And and so I think, can you talk more about sort of the messages you got, but also the challenges of stepping away? Because when you make that decision, I know I've done it. There's this concern, I'm going to let people down around me. And I'm not going to be what they wanted me to be, and somehow that's really important to them and me.
0: Yep, absolutely. For for my own journey, I definitely wrangled with that, that if I were to leave this coveted position that I was in, that there would be a huge disappointment. But I was surprised to find how supportive my family really was and realizing that it wasn't making me happy. And I think that was the moment it clicked for everyone that, okay, she's meant to do something else because she's tried that and I fulfilled it and I've checked those boxes. But like, to what extent if it doesn't make you happy? Um, yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting you say that, I, you know, parents parents are just the darndest people. They, they you know, they surprise us so often. I, I just recently finished reading a book called Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And so if you have not read it, I highly recommend it. It's a, a wonderful memoir, great life lessons. And one of the things was uh, Matthew McConaughey's father was really tough. And I won't even go into the details, very tough on him. And there came a moment where Matthew McConaughey had decided to get off the path that he had been on, that his father was fully supportive of, around his education. He was getting a traditional education and he, he called his father. To say, I've decided to go to acting school. And he was terrified by what his father would say. But I loved, I thought it was a beautiful moment where his father just said, Well, if you're going to do it, don't half ass it. And that was it, which was really him saying, I support you, but if you're going to do something, you better do it all in. And I really didn't even see that coming. So when you're sharing that about the concern of your parents, but then they really kind of surprised you and said, No, we really support you in this. That's got to feel good, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I totally resonate with that. I had very—I mean, my mom will say that she wasn't very strict, but I would say she was your traditional tiger parent. Um, Like in the Asian culture, it's like go do study for your classes, go in and enroll in all of these extracurricular activities. So that really conditioned me to be competitive, to stay—you know—to stay very achievement-oriented, and and I did that for the most part. But it was one of those things like, yeah, I know that if I were to go all in on something, I will I'll, I will do that and I will be successful. And now it's time for me to choose what it is that will light me up instead of what else everyone else is looking for. Hmm.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit more, Michelle. You used a phrase that I think a lot of people are familiar with, but not everybody. You talked about a tiger parent, right? Yeah. So Talk more about what is the tiger parent and what is that? How did that impact your journey?
0: So the traditional sense of a tiger parent is someone that really focuses on academics, um, focuses on extracurricular activities like uh, musical instruments, piano, violin. Those are the very stereotypical Asian instruments that we're we're forced and pressured to play when we're growing up um and i would say that they tend to they just have very high expectations and demands on their children like you'll see skits of making making fun if you get a b plus in your class something like that um so they're just very demanding parents and i Mm -hmm. would say my story isn't unique that Mm -hmm. um there tends to be a lot of you know when you're coming from an immigrant family um there, there's a lot of pressure. As a first, I, I'm, I'm this, I'm the first generation to be born in the U.S. So there's a lot of pressure oh, wow. for me um, to make it worth it, right? <laughs> but that's what the traditional tiger parent is—someone that's just very focused on achieving, on academics, you know, pushing their children to move forward.
2: Wow, I've never heard that term before, but I have a lot of friends in the Asian American space that, you know, either they're the ones that are the tiger parents or
1: they've, they've experienced that. Um, So, Michelle, let's get a little of that background. So, where are your parents from?
0: They are from Hong Kong and Southern China.
1: Okay. And you said you're the firstborn here. I find it interesting when you talk about those things, what came up for me is that's exactly what colleges tell us we have to have. And I wonder how much of this is being influenced by the college expectations because Mm. colleges are really clear. You need to get good grades. You need to have a bunch of extra extracurricular activities. You gotta you gotta build your pre college resume, especially if you want to go to a good college. <laughs> so it feels like some of this is just someone said, "Here's the checklist, or here's the map," and we're following the map. Did you, did you right. experience that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely that component to it as well. I would say there's an additional component based on the asian values of confucianism that's very academically driven so that Mm -hmm. combined with you know going to college and moving up um you know it's all fused together but there is a really big emphasis on education at least for me and my family and and those traditionally in um you know asian cultures um of of education because that's the that is one of the values
2: so were your parents entrepreneurial or were they working for other companies?
0: Nope. They, they were not entrepreneurial. They've always worked for large companies and I think, yeah, that gave them the sense of security, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's also limiting, right? If you're going to be working for one or two companies, your entire 30, 40 year career, it's, it's stable, but there is a cost to it as well.
1: Yeah. So I don't want to assume Michelle, so I'll therefore ask, (laughs) you talk about education. But was education, the was that the end, the end or a means to an end?
0: Mm, that's a good <laughs> question. I don't really know what the... Like,
1: and I wonder, because I, I'm an outsider, I'm not part of your culture, but as an outsider, I sometimes see this almost that it sounds like people are saying, you know, go do really well in school, work really hard, be a high achiever, because then you will be seen as a high achiever. In your education and therefore now you're somehow worthy as an immigrant and And it opens up
2: opportunities for you
1: right Um, so that's the question is it about the opportunities it creates is it mm -hmm. an end in itself i'm just curious what kind of messaging you got around that
0: (laughs) um for me personally it was that it was an opportunity um that it would open up doors and the way to get ahead would be by investing in your education. So that was the message I get, but I know that not all families will preach that. Um, and my family's a little bit different because my grandparents were school teachers back in, back in China um, and they had a different take on the value and the importance of it. So uh, I think that's my, my personal family values that might be a little bit different from everyone else's.
1: Well, I wanna ask your question, Michelle, about a month or so ago, Craig and I, through our company, Carter Vera, we do something called TED Talk Tuesdays. And we did a TED Talk. The title or theme was The Danger of a Single Story. And the woman who was from Africa talked about how she was seen based upon people's single story of what people from Africa are like or what Africa is like. I'm curious, what kind of experience have you had, especially in the business world, of people sort of applying that single story mindset to you as a um, Chinese immigrant or your parents being?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm really, and and it's, I don't know if I have a specific answer on that because I've been working a lot on my mindset of knowing that I'm not defined by certain things and that there's a lot of elements to me. So I don't know if I (laughs) see that anymore. If you asked me a year ago, I might've been like, this is my, this is my archetype. This is, you know, this is what I stand for, but right now I really don't see that. And it's because I've been really reconditioning my mind to think, well, I'm a blend of both Eastern and Western culture. And I can really use either one to my advantage. I can use my gender, my ethnicity, all these things to my advantage. So I don't know if I have a good answer on that because I've been very conscious about rewriting, um, rewriting it and not putting that sort of pressure on myself.
1: So, what about in the corporate world did you feel like you were people were putting a story on you based upon your background and and how did that serve you or not serve your and you serve you in your career journey
0: i would say that nobody put any sort of pressure on me back then um but i don't think i had the same level of awareness as i did now um We tend to see ourselves in different ways so i i think when i was in the corporate world i was subconsciously allowing those thoughts and those you know stereotypes leak into my mind and because of that it would leak into action if we're not consciously aware of how they show up so um you know one example would be this like fear to push back um and there's a lot of very deeply seated um You know conditioning that happens from childhood from your culture and that would show up for me in the workplace that i've had to consciously be aware of um and you know once we're aware of it we can bring attention to why it shows up and why it's like that um not to say that it's all purely culturally driven but um it comes from a lot of things if we're not aware we we can't self-manage
2: What it sounded like you were about to say was that you you may not have been able to talk back or question what was going on. Is that part of your conditioning? Mm
0: -hmm, Absolutely,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one to get over.
1: And what was the source of that? I mean, was that your immigrant refugee family background? Was that as a woman, some combination?
0: I think it was a combination, absolutely. (laughs) And I, I don't think this came to my realization until I started working with my executive coaches, because I was telling them, I want to be a better leader. I want to be able to communicate and push back more. And my coaches straight up asked me that how much of this is from your upbringing and from your childhood. And at at that moment, I was really taken aback. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This is like, that's, that's such a crazy idea. But as I do the work, I realized, actually, there's a lot to be to be said there because subconsciously we don't realize the messages that mm. we get and i've always you know you can't build up that muscle of being able to push back right away um it takes time to develop especially if, you know my entire life i've not been able to do that so that was a really big moment for me as well
2: wow well it sounds like you've really come a long way so you, you seem to be very self-aware at this point
0: mm-hmm, absolutely
1: well i, I want to come i do want to come back to your your journey but the, something you just said I think is important to highlight for folks and it came up for me just the other night I was out and I was at a wine bar having a glass of wine and ended up in a really deep conversation with the servers who brought over another server that got even deeper we were talking about so it was challenging me because one was had wow. educated in philosophy and I'm like I got <laughs> I got to work here but one of the things that came up is just what you said about that messaging because this woman was saying she really struggles with her um, self-worth, mm. and a lot of it's about body image. And I just I said, are you open to some questions? And I finally got her to say, she said, well, I guess the word that keeps coming to me is homely. Mm. I've always felt homely. And I said, well, who told you you were homely? And she thought a minute and said, yeah, I don't think anybody ever told me that. And I said, hang on a second, just close your eyes, take a breath listen to the question, who told you you were homely? And her eyes popped open. She said, oh my God, my mom. Mm. But she said, my mom never used that word. That's why I was confused. I said, exactly, because I think you know this, Michelle, what happens is we have these experiences and these these descriptors and messages come to us, but they may never have even been said, which is why Mm. they're hard to find. Because mm. no one ever said that, but this experience I had caused me to take that label on, and I—it it sounds like that's what you're talking about.
0: Yep, yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good example of, you know, when, when we're growing up, we do hear messages all around, and whether we, you know, have the same words or not, it's that behavioral um, conditioning that we get accustomed to, right? Like for me it was stay in your lane or don't talk back i heard that so many times growing up so now of course in the corporate world don't talk back that was not aligned with what i was taught so um, yeah that's that's a very perfect example of how that can show up
1: so i'm really curious i want to go back to something you just said michelle you talked about having executive coaches mm-hmm. and i don't know the answer i'm just going to ask were these coaches that you engage or company company coaches that were engaged by the company for you
0: these were coaches that i engaged so i was lucky to have a, a stipend to um utilize for furthering my leadership and and i got i think it was through a referral that i heard about them and that's how i decided to reach out
1: wow so that sounds like you know that's one thing that craig and i see all the time is people are waiting for someone else to do that for them like they don't get a coach until someone says you need a coach Which often is when you're in trouble. There's Mm -hmm. a problem. You know, we're trying to recover your career. Sounds like you were not doing that at all. You had the opportunity. The company, great company culture. It sounds like they supported you investing in yourself, and you chose to go out and do that. So I applaud you for that.
2: I think it's so good to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so good to to think about instead of having somebody come into you and say, "Hey, you need a you need a coach." We should all be thinking about how can we how can we improve what we're doing whether it's our leadership whether it's our technical skills our interpersonal skills relationships those are the things that are going to make us more successful you know especially in the interpersonal side and as we get that outside perspective we just can't get from ourselves it's like you know that person asked you the question about was this something from your upbringing and you had no idea at that point
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i would agree with that because i worked in human resources so you know, normally there's this stigma of coaching is because you're on a performance improvement plan or because you're not doing something well. But for me, it was this proactiveness of, okay, well, I don't want to get to that point. So I want to nip it in the bud as early as I can. But there has been this sort of stigma around coaching that I think is starting to shift now where it's becoming more proactive as a way to get ahead, as opposed to, you know, reactive because someone's not meeting expectations
2: would that be called something different like performance coaching versus uh or would performance coaching be for the remedial as well
0: hmm. i don't know if they, there's a certain label to it um yeah i don't know if there's a difference between the the label but i think in general the term of okay i need coaching there there's just some stigma especially in the corporate world it's not yeah we're starting to see a shift i think in that but it was typically because there was uh poor poor performance.
2: Yeah. In the sports world people would be like, "Oh, of course you need a coach." Right? <laughs> right,
0: yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's I don't want to get started on performance improvement plan. I think the whole concept is ridiculous. Like even me because it has a horrible label, but by itself it's not. Think about the words. Wait, we're going to we're going to put together a performance improvement plan for you. That sounds awesome. I mean, isn't that the goal? Everybody's supposed to improve their performance, but it's got such a stigma to it. My theory is, and I've been, I have brought this into some company. I said, everybody should have a PIP. Everybody should be on a PIP, including the CEO. If you don't have Absolutely. a PIP, that's because you don't work here anymore. I worked for a company like that. <laughs> everybody had one. But then they didn't like the word. So I said, all right, let's change the word. So everybody had a leadership development plan, an LDP. All right, change the name, but everybody's supposed to be getting better at something, isn't that the idea? You know, how does a company have constant improvement mindset or value, but only only the people who are failing have a plan? It's, mm-hmm. it's absurd to me. But Absolutely. everything, a lot of things are absurd to me. <laughs> so, Michelle, you've talked a little bit about it, and I want to go deeper and see what else is here in your journey in your experience. I know you've shared with me before that you feel like you had a unique experience in your corporate journey because uh, of your immigrant status as well as a woman. Can you talk more about that and what that experience was like? And more importantly, what did you learn from it and how might that apply to others?
0: Yeah, definitely. There was that element of my gender, of my ethnicity. I would also throw in my age. Um, And I don't know how those all stacked with one another. I think the age component carried a lot of weight as well um, because I was one of the youngest and I was learning from people who were twice my senior and that was quite intimidating. Um, I, I, I think the biggest thing is we see ourselves in a different way than other people see us and that's really what my executive coaches had really helped to instill within me that I probably see myself as You know, I know what my background looks like and I know where I had to come from, but other people, when they see me, they won't see that at all. So it's being able to really self-manage that image and to not feel like such an imposter when being able to present yourself outwards. I would say I struggled with that a lot. And it's probably the combination of all those three factors when I was standing, you know, with executives who were, you know, usually white male and older than me.
1: So I'm curious about something you just said, Michelle, and I want to make sure or see what if I heard there's something I, I missed in it. You were talking about what, how people saw you. Did you get a sense of how they actually saw you? Because you just said something about how they saw you was different. What Can you tell mm-hmm. us more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say we tend to be more critical of ourselves than other people are critical. Of us because there's that internal chatter, right? So I would say that I was getting in my head a lot. I was really um like very hard on myself, a lot harder than what other people would have said. So whether I, you know, if I were to receive good feedback from someone and then maybe one area of improvement, I would focus on that area of improvement and ignore all of the positive praise. So I think that was one way that I continue to self-sabotage. And I know this is super, super common as everyone goes through performance you know, performance reviews, and they'd get so fixated on that one aspect. So that was exactly what was happening in my mind was I can do all this great work, but then I would, you know, cling to that one or two things that um, I felt like I was, I was an imposter. And I, you know, overrode all of the good progress that I made.
2: Wow, that's something something where we all need to learn more grace for ourselves. We wouldn't treat other people that way. Right? So why do we do that to ourselves?
1: Mm-hmm. So so Michelle I I heard two things in there and I'd really like you to, if you can to separate them because I think that's so important for people to be able to separate them. You talked about the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and you talked about self-sabotage. Those two kind of together. But on the other side you talked about high expectations on yourself. And a lot of people will hear that and think, well how is high expectations on yourself self-sabotaging? Because if you're able to meet those Then you're going to be a high performer, theoretically. So, can you kind of carve those up for us so people can understand those differences?
0: Yeah. The okay. So, the high expectation piece. I think I do see them kind of all tying together because typically people who are going to be very ambitious and driven, they'll want to know what's next. They'll want to keep going and looking forward. And one of the big things that I always tell my clients is you have to know where you came from to help eliminate some of that self-sabotage, eliminate some of that imposter syndrome. Because when you're very high achieving, you'll never be where you want to be. And from that sense, you know, you'll not ever feel like you're you're there yet. Um but I don't know what the best way to kind of untangle those two would be. But I think it's recognizing that it's okay to have high expectations on yourself, but don't don't um don't forget where you came from and recognize that you actually really belong where you are now because of all the efforts that you've placed on yourself.
2: Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cardevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at Cardavera.com. Welcome back. It's actually a fascinating question. I was having this conversation with my son the other night, and as we were walking into a restaurant, he's like, yeah, I don't. I try not to have high expectations so that I'm not disappointed. I'm like, mm. wow. I said, that was, that's a horrible way to live. <laughs> but then, you know, as we started talking about it, I was like, well, okay. W- expectation management is one of those things that if we have expectations that are unrealistic and we never meet those, then we're always dissatisfied with our performance. So that whole issue of where do we go with expectations? I want to have high expectations for myself but I don't wanna be so married to it so that I can't enjoy the process.
1: Well, for me, I, I've thrown a different switch for that. For me, okay. it means high, very incredibly high expectations, but low attachment.
2: There you go, the attachment, low attachment
1: okay. to the outcome. So if I yeah. don't achieve those things, I don't go to a low place in terms of my self-worth. I beat myself up. Yeah. I look for ways to achieve that, I assess did I set the bar too high? Maybe, maybe not. I'm, I, that thing is just BS to me. Oh, you should lower your expectation. But it's again, one of those safety messages we all, most of us got yeah. either from our family or from our culture, you know, that said, like people would say, don't get your hopes up. That was a really loving perspective though. It was saying, cause I don't want you to be disappointed. Yeah. No, get your hopes up, absolutely. But don't be attached to who you are based upon whether you hit that or not. That's wow. that's how I look at
2: it. That is so important in relationships too. I mean, it. I wrote a an article about this a long time ago called "Are Are You Expecting?" and it's basically back about you know Are you expecting something from your spouse from that other person that is getting in the way of you having a good relationship? Because if your expectations are there, and especially if you haven't communicated those and the other person has bought into it, you're looking for some problems.
1: So Michelle, I wanna go back to this question. I wanna, I I guess, understand for myself, but also I think by understanding it and peeling the onion a little bit, it helps our listeners. Mm -hmm. So I think you have kind of two groups of people, and a lot of people, by the way, I believe struggle with the imposter syndrome. I think, you know, people think it's a small percentage it's pretty clear anecdotally that it's not. We have people every day who are coming, call it coming out, saying they struggle with this. But I think you have two generally different kind of outcomes from it. One is they're poor performers overall, and they don't achieve success because of those less than thoughts. And they self-sabotage that keeps them from the things they want success-wise or external success. Then you have the other people Who are super high performers and they achieve the outward success, which sounds like is you, but the reality is they're just empty inside. There's a, there's, it's all this stuff. Yeah, I nailed it. I'm the successful one, but inside I feel empty and I don't, I don't have any joy in my life. And so for you, was it more that second one? You were a high performer, you were killing it
0: yeah i i would say that it was the second one i would it's hard for me to untangle untangle it and say that i'm one or the other because i do think that yes i was unfulfilled i was a high performer but i felt unfulfilled yet at the same time i did that to myself as well because i could have released a lot of these um you know self-deprecating thoughts earlier on that would have allowed me to be even better and when you were saying the whole thing around um not being attached to the outcome that's really the key right is like you can always keep looking forward and doing better but the moment you feel like you're not meeting your own expectations your own high expectations that's really when you start sabotaging yourself and then get into that perpetual loop of never feeling satisfied or fulfilled so it's hard for me to separate both because i feel i'm kind of in the middle but the the key is really managing your thoughts and and Uh, not letting yourself get into your own head and feeling like you're not enough because your expectations are way too high.
2: Well, I think it sometimes comes back to who who we're trying to please as well. So, you know, like my big question for you would be, are you, when you chose to shift into coaching and leave the corporate world, what did your parents say?
0: They were very supportive. Again,
2: (laughs) yes wow okay I was
0: very very surprised because when i when i decided to leave i didn't have a backup plan um i i had a transition period from the company and i ultimately enrolled into a coaching program a coach training program and mm-hmm. i was like maybe i'll go back into the corporate world i'm not sure but ultimately i felt this calling to just do do this create my business and i was very Very surprised to see how supportive my family was and how supportive my parents were. Um, And for that, I'm really, really grateful.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's so good. Yeah. So I'm curious, Michelle, how have you seen this show up in your entrepreneurial journey? How has it shifted? How is it still the same? I'll give you a really quick example. A number of years ago, someone called me. I'd gone to high school with them, but didn't know them well. Super successful and everything they'd ever done. Like, outward success, nailed it. And even internally would say they had a happy life. They decided to go start their own business, and they were failing horribly. And what he realized, and we were just on one call together, and in the one call he realized that he always had performed where the the expectations were set for him, Mm. where it was external. Here's your number. He could hit that but when he had to create it for himself and it was really about what he was worth, he was running into a brick wall. So his worth issues didn't show up until he was in his 50s when he started his entrepreneurial journey. Wow. So I'm curious how, if any of that has affected you and how that shows up or hasn't shown up in your, as you become an entrepreneur.
0: That is a really, really good question and I think because I've been doing so much of this inner work of realizing my own self worth and healing a lot of, or shedding a lot of these unwanted layers. I've been able to move past these obstacles a lot quicker. Mm. Um, because there is a shift that has to happen when you're an employee to becoming your, an entrepreneur, you have to have your own back, right? You're not working for anyone. You have to have your own back. There's a lot of thinking ways or there's a lot of things to shift in your thinking from big time being an employee following the rules um to just becoming your own leader and i've really had to you know be a nice ceo to myself because <laughs>
2: really
0: a nice CEO to myself um, and and that's really where the whole not being attached to the outcome piece like having having high expectation or you know having having high achieving goals for myself, but not being so attached to the outcome. Otherwise I would beat myself up. So a lot of this managing myself, my self-talk, you know, thinking about it from different perspectives, a lot of reflection. And I think that's why I've not quit and given up in the first six months of my business, where it could have been really easy to just go back and find another job, but being really, really mindful of what are the things that I'm telling myself and how is that Hmm. helping?
1: So I'm curious, especially this question is for those listeners who have navigated similar situations, whether it's precisely the same in terms of um, uh, immigrant woman, Asian American woman, or uh, just their own journey, do you feel like in the corporate world, you were able to overcome those issues? And if so, what were some of the keys to that, or did you not overcome them really, and you basically played played small? I, I mean, I haven't really heard clearly that answer.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's a good that's a good question because when I look at where I got, I don't think that I played small. I think I had to play big to get to where I was. Um, but I, looking back, I don't think I realized it at that point. And I say that you know, the age, the ethnicity, the gender piece can either be one of the biggest obstacles in holding you back or it can be one of your biggest advocates. And you can either use it as a place of, oh my gosh, I'm like, I feel completely misplaced or you can use it as a source of power. And the story that I choose to write for myself is that I want it to come from a place of power. <laughs> okay. and, and that's um, I think that's been really empowering that I don't I can have that as my narrative or I can choose to write a different narrative depending on how I want to see it.
1: So, I'm going to ask this question, um, something that I've always, or long pondered, Michelle. I want to focus on the gender issue right now. I think a lot of women feel that they, it's going to be challenging to succeed if they are themselves.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: Because the world is still largely, it's a male-dominated world. It just is. And that hasn't changed. And it makes me sad, but that's still the reality. And there's a power differential. And there's some some men are using it consciously. Some are doing it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So there's I think there's this decision point that a lot of women have to make is, am I going to keep doing it my way? Or am I going to play the game their way mm-hmm. I can achieve within their game? Can you comment on how real that was for your experience and what did you do with that sort of decision point
0: i laugh when i think about that because i would say i used to want to follow their game and do what was expected of me normally but the times where i was really able to like to thrive was when I was completely true to myself. And when I, when I honestly, when I went rogue, I love saying that word. When I went rogue, <laughs> in the workplace, I did my best work, right? Even now in my business, I do my best work when I just like, don't give a crap about what other people <laughs> tell me. And that's been really liberating for me. And I think that also gave me a lot of power. <laughs> I remember my CEO, one day I just went into a meeting. I was just really frustrated with everything. And I just said, this is how we're going to do it. And they were kind of taken aback but i hit that point of like (laughs) i've had enough of this this is what we're going to do and i and i can see how that accelerated my momentum moving forward um the other piece to this is you know for for women who are kind of in between and really not sure where to go and um feeling like this is a man's world uh, another thing that's been really helpful for me was like being very conscious of what i feed into my mind because there are going to be very powerful women leaders and we tend to look at all the negatives and we, we have this confirmation bias it's part of psychology right when we're when we're looking for a news article that supports our view we're going to totally find it but when we're going to look for something else that supports our view you can find it too mm-hmm. so surrounding yourself with strong female leaders with people who are uplifting and inspiring is going to do so much more than focusing on all of the negative things that do not support your story. So I've had to consciously really choose the things that I, I want to put in my mind and be really careful of how I spend my time and my energy.
2: I just love that you have become the author of your story. So important.
1: (laughs) So you may have answered this already, Michelle, but I want to frame it very specifically. So there are women listening. There will be women listening, and they are in different, uh, they're in corporate roles, they're in business roles in their career. And some are going to be just women. Some are going to be women who have other um, potential barriers in terms of their ethnicity, all those things. What do they need to hear from you? Hmm.
0: Choose to write your own story. Don't let any <laughs> of the limiting beliefs define you. You can use them as a place where you feel like you're a victim, you're a victim of your race, you're a victim of your ethnicity, or you can use them from a place where you're a victor, right? It can be your leading edge. It can be your differentiator, but you can choose your story.
1: Yeah. I love this. Yeah, this is so good, Michelle, and and so timely.
2: I think (laughs) it is so timely
1: right now. It's not just in the business world. I think it's going on all around us. Uh, So I really appreciate your... Bringing this perspective to us today, I, I want to ask this, Michelle: Is there anything in particular that you want to share with our listeners in terms of promoting something or something going on with you or your business?
0: Yeah, absolutely. If there's if any of this resonated and you're wrangling with some of these thoughts or you're just feeling completely stuck and defeated mm-hmm. by where you're at in your current work situation or your career, I encourage you to just reach out and seek help. Um, I have a I have a career transition program where I help to really shift people's mindset and their energy, Hmm. um, within six weeks to just start getting them to see different perspectives that if you were in a place of feeling completely stuck, this could be a really great option for you. Um, but I would just encourage if this, if this episode, um, resonated or if anything stuck out and you want to chat more, feel free to reach out. Hmm.
1: So how do people track you down, Michelle?
0: You can find me on my website, www.michelleku.com, or on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram as well, and my handle is at mkyucoaching.
1: And the program you talked about, the initial, is that also, would they find that on your website?
0: Yeah, they can, there's a couple of different options that I have. It's all around um, coaching. So, One is career transition coaching. So for those feeling really stuck or career development coaching, if you want to get ahead and not be reactive because you need it, but because you want to be proactive and moving you forward. So I have those two options.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. So we always wrap up with a couple of questions, Michelle. And one of my questions for you is what's that one book? I'm guessing Mm -hmm. you're a reader like me and Craig, but what's that one book that speaks to you about impact and leadership?
0: Uh Carol Dweck's mindset.
1: That is, you know, this is incredible. We, we hit so many different book answers, and not everybody gets the same book question. But Craig, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, that's the only book that's been repeated, and it's probably three or four times. At least three times. Yeah. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. Uh, and no, and no other book has been repeated. None that I can think of. I don't know. that. so that is amazing. Yeah, see. She is amazing. The book is amazing. And every time, every time I'm talking to someone and I didn't even know it was hers, I now give attribution (laughs) because I was, people would say things like, I haven't done this. And I always go yet. (laughs) She's got that whole thing on the power of the word yet. Yeah. So Um, much power. Gosh, Yeah. Thank you for that. And let's talk about wisdom for a minute. Wisdom is such a, sometimes a cliche word, but it's not, it's not, if we're really getting to the essence of things and to me, wisdom is not just information. So what's that one piece of wisdom you want to share with our listeners today?
0: It's self-compassion. Yes. What <laughs> will have people be better leaders all around is like self-love, self-compassion. <laughs> be nice to yourself. First. Fill up your own cup. <laughs> Take care of yourself.
1: Yes. Oh, good. So Wow, good that's yourself. such a
2: great message. And so, so few people do that. Um, so help me understand from your perspective. I I see this happening differently between men and women. From your perspective, are women pressured more to think about everybody else than themselves, and are they not allowed to be joyful?
0: I challenge that. I okay. women can choose if they're. Oh, aware they, can. they can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can absolutely choose um, how again how they want to write their narrative and
2: right Um, i'm just wondering about conditioning though
0: i think there is a conditioning that a feeling like you have to nurture those around you and that's probably a bit biological as well but um you know we're all fluid i i I really think there's this dichotomy. like we don't it doesn't have to be black or white you can choose to focus on yourself and focus on your career and ignore everything else or you can choose to go a different route and yeah no right or wrong answer
2: (laughs) yeah it's been it's taken a while for me to encourage my wife to relax and and just enjoy where she is and to to seek joy for herself. So that's been good. It's been a process, but she's she's getting there.
1: Well, thank you, Michelle. Thanks for being yes. here. I knew this would be an interesting and uh, thought-provoking conversation. I know I have some new perspectives, so thank you for sharing today and the way you share in the world.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thanks for doing the work.
2: (laughs) If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Carvera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartevera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside.